0: Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7, a very famous chapter because it's in chapter 7 is something called the Davidic covenant, the covenant made to David about our Lord and Savior Jesus. We're going to take a look at that tonight. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we open the scriptures, we open our hearts, we want to hear from you. Speak, Lord Jesus, because we know uh, we can't live by just food alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. So, Father, speak, and we're willing to hear what you have to say. In Christ's name, amen. So here in the seventh chapter of Second Samuel, David is enjoying the sweet life, or at least for a season. And I love how the Lord is very sensitive with all of us to give us times of refreshing. And he needed it after twenty-year battle. So, uh, as I said last week, Proverbs thirteen nineteen: A longing fulfilled is sweet to the soul. And so after those 20 hard years, now David is king, finally, uh, over all of Israel, and Israel's united, and uh, what a concept, they're not fighting among each other, and uh, the bad boy Philistines have been beaten back, and David has captured Jerusalem, uh, which is called Mount Zion, and it's just the, the hill section of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is kind of on top of uh, a bunch of hills there called Mount Zion. It, uh, he renamed it. He took it from the Jebusites, as you recall, and renamed the city the city of David. And uh, he's got a very nice palace that has been built there on top of that hill for him, courtesy of a pagan king. Um, so, but something's been missing, and we saw that last week, uh, last chapter. David is longing to have the Ark of the Covenant come be with him near Jerusalem and really wants to transfer and make Jerusalem the central place for Judaism, for all of worship. And so um, the Ark of the Covenant really kind of symbolized the heartbeat. Of Judaism of worship of Yahweh and so it had been out of commission for 70 years we talked about this last week and in the process of retrieving and moving it that nine miles south from where it had been parked for 70 years nine miles south to Jerusalem to be with David there in the city of David uh, there was a lesson learned um, it's very important in God's kingdom not to do the right thing in a wrong way Um, you can't have enthusiasm for God and misdirected zeal we have to worship God and love him uh, according to the word of God the Bible the Bible gives us guidelines how we live our lives in him and so of course today it's a really um, really popular thing is to be spiritual and have a zeal for God, but it's a misdirected zeal. It's not based on the knowledge of the revealed will of God in the scriptures. That is from Romans chapter 10 and verse 2. Now, uh, you don't hitch the symbolic holy presence of God's almighty throne to the to the rear end of a couple cows and haul it around like a bale of hay you just don't do that so God had to let his displeasure be known in kind of an Ananias and Sapphira style and uh Acts chapter 5 for those of you who didn't laugh you'll find out what Ananias and Sapphira is all about And uh, so the Ark has been properly (laughs) transported uh, to Jerusalem now. Uh, They've done it a right thing in a right way because David went to the book and opened the scroll and found out, oh, we don't just put it on a wagon like the pagans did. We actually follow the commands of the Lord. So uh, for context here in chapter seven, King David's in his palace and uh, the Ark is in its place. Right there near his palace, there in Jerusalem. So it's time for another lesson, though, which thankfully is learned in in a much gentler way. And the lesson will be a good work for God must be directed by God. All right, let's read the first section. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, excuse me, <laughs> verse five. go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you really the one to build me a house to dwell in? I haven't dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all of all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel? Why haven't you built me a house of cedar? Well, let's pause there. And uh, number one. If you're taking notes, David's good intentions. Now, what a heart for God in this guy. Uh, That's why we love him. The scriptures say that, uh, and God speaking first person, I have found David to be a man after my own heart, for he will do everything. I asked him to do, and I made a little quip last week about us, most of us, as we love God with most of our hearts, and we're willing to do almost everything he asks us to do. Uh, but, you know, D- David's heart really springs from a realization of being blessed, and he really understands that he doesn't deserve any of the mercy that God has given him or anything good. Uh, It is said that gratitude is the mother of all Christian virtue and the foundation for the Christian life. Paul, after 12 chapters of Romans, after 11 full chapters, he says, Therefore, in light of everything I just told you about, the love of God that uh, you can never be separated from. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or powers, or principalities. And all that's in chapters 1 through 11. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, you should offer your whole life as a living sacrifice unto God. Because this is what true worship really is. A yielded life in response to God's great love and mercy for us. So it makes a Christian life a lot easier when it's a response to the kindness of God and the grace of God that we've received and, and not something we're trying to earn. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 15 says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So it kind of makes sense that God laid down his life for us, and then we ought to lay down our lives for the one who gave everything for us. Everything was given for me by him. Then, therefore, I should give everything back to him. It just is how David lives his life uh, that way. We're not trying to get or earn something from God, our Christian lives are about trying to respond to the grace that we have received. So it makes sense. When someone does something nice for you, don't you just want to uh, pay them back? You know, if somebody lets you off the hook or gets you out of a jam or does you a big favor, uh, most decent human beings want to say thank you. And uh, no one gets that more than David, so the Lord's been really good to him, and David knows it full well. And too bad that truth of what God has done for all of us, especially on the cross, too bad we can't just focus on that all the time, because he he doesn't keep it in front of him all the time, because he goes for walks on the roof, you know, and, and he's... He's looking around over the valley and he sees Bathsheba he's not thinking about the Lord and his great mercy and love uh, he's not thinking about the the sacrifice and and same with us when we lose. Focus about what God has done for us and, and the cross of Jesus and the blood shed for us and, and all of the good things God has promised to give us in our future. It's with Christ. We're gonna reign and rule with him forever. All of our sins washed away. When you lose focus about that, then it's easier for you to slip up and do your own thing and not to honor God with your life. And so the setting is given here where David's inspiration is born to do something magnificent Magnificent for the Lord. Uh, Now, uh, David's really uh, kicking back one evening the royal estate, and uh, he's thinking about God, and because he loves God. So his thoughts go to God and his faithfulness. And when you love somebody, uh, you think about them. And if you don't love them, you really don't think too much of your time about that person. Now, It seems like every time he smelled the cedar, his thoughts went to the goodness of God. So I imagine the scene something like this. It's raining out at night, and uh, the wind is howling, and there's a little fireplace, beautiful. You just picture a palace, you know. Uh, And there's that warm, clean, fresh scent of cedar, which I happen to really like. How many of you like the smell of cedar? Uh, How many of you know moths do not? And... um, that's why uh, people use it for chests and uh, things like that in dresser drawers. Uh, but here's this place. I just picture them sitting around the magnificent, finely crafted, majestic tables. Got, got some yummy, sumptuous Mediterranean stew sitting there. And I'm just picturing all of this. And his tummy is full and his heart is full. And he smells the cedar. He looks around and he's remembering the sheep pen and all of that and he just maybe perhaps he hears the flap of the uh, tent in the back yard the tent of the tabernacle where the ark of the covenant's out in the rain but there's a tent covering and he and, and he's thinking seriously I'm kicking back here in a warm, warm, cozy, uh, wonderful palace and the Ark of the Covenant of God is outside in a tent. Now, David is smart enough to realize that the Lord isn't in the, the Ark per se, but it is the focal point of worship. And the Lord is the one who says, listen, this is like my throne and it's telling the gospel story. And I will in a very special way meet you here. And so David understands that. And so he has a friend visiting, and we're introduced to him. His name is Nathan, the prophet. He's going to play a major role in the upcoming chapters. And now they're friends. They have a lot in common, David and Nathan. Uh, They both love the Lord. They're both serving God's people in ministry. They're both worshipers. I didn't know if you knew this. Nathan's a prophet, but he's also involved in temple worship. In Second Chronicles 29, you see that. And also, did you know that this Nathan is probably the author of this book? Because it says in First Chronicles chapter 29 that he was recording the life and events of King David and also Saul as well. So uh, Nathan's got the gift of prophecy and he's bringing confirmations and corrections uh, throughout David's reign. Now, David's musing there and his eyes get excited and dancing with this infectious smile on his face. And in an informal way, he says to his friend, Nathan, and they're both in ministry. I just see them as two pastor kind of guys sitting around talking and, and David has this wonderful, crazy idea And, you know, I say informally, I don't hear him say, hey, listen, take this to the Lord. Let me know what the Lord thinks about building him a house or a temple. But I because look at your verse, it says it's given as a statement. David makes a statement, not a question. But but Nathan replies. So here's the statement. I'm warm and cozy and God's out in the backyard. And then Nathan replies to that when he looks at David's expression. He gets what he's talking about and he says, uh, Does it, does that make sense to you, Nathan? And, and Nathan's all, you know, yeah, you know what? God's with you. Go for it. You know, and I, here's Nathan benefiting from the same luxuries indoors as david so i'm thinking that the 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 initial uh, reaction to say go for it build him this temple without really seeking the lord is because uh, he feels the same thing like we're both in here in the palace and uh, there's the ark in the backyard what if, you know just something about this doesn't seem right You know, I've got a permanent dwelling place, but as for the symbol of the Most High God, the dwelling of the Lord is transitory and temporal out in a tent so david raises his eyebrows a couple times this is in my movie version all right he's got a glint in his eye and he says you know he says you feeling me dog and uh so nathan nathan says i'm picking up bro what you're laying down and he says amen whatever you whatever you're thinking davy boy go for it because the lord is with you amen now two things i love about this nathan and another nathan i happen to know First of all, uh, he shares an optimistic faith with David. He's an up guy, Nathan is. He's the kind of guy you want to have around because he's an optimist. And he trusts you and the work of God in you. He's not a downer. Uh, he's His desire is to support and to uplift, and not to criticize and always find a fault, uh, he's positive. He assumes the best. He's rooting for you. The glass is half full. He's a dreamer with you. He's a yes, we can kind of guy. Uh, he believes in David and the work of God, as I said, in his heart and life. He trusts the God, and uh, he, he, he says, yeah, man, let's do it. Sounds good sounds good to me. I know you. I know your heart. I trust you. I, I trust the Lord's work in you. Let's do this thing, you know? Well, mm, it wasn't right. So that's the problem here. <laughs> the second thing I love about this guy, Nathan, is that when he makes a mistake, when he senses that there might have been a misstep, even though he's already committed and said something uh, as to the effect of, you know what, I sense this is a good thing. And and they already kind of slept on it and you know, there's there's already, they already started in that direction. So now he's already kind of said, yeah, two thumbs up. And now he has to humble himself and go back and say something that he knows that his buddy, the King really doesn't want to hear. This is the kind of guy I really like. You see, he's, he's an uplifting, trustworthy, faithful friend, but, but truth is truth. And, uh, you know, where the Bible says, uh, let a faithful friend wound me uh, with the correction. You know, it's faithful are the wounds of a friend. Thank you, first row. Everybody on the first row always knows their Bible very well. That's why they're on the first row. It's kind of like in math class with all the guys in the front. They're all really good at math. Anyway, I don't know. (laughs) So I really, I really... I love this guy, Nathan. So what happened? Nathan went home. He had a quiet time. And you know the little tugging at your soul, your conscience just bugging you. And you're, you're trying to say, thank you, Lord, for this and that. And, and something's wrong. And you can't fall asleep. And you're like, what? Okay, I'm listening. And so Nathan has a quiet time. And uh, the Lord just says, you know, you jump the gun, sons. Uh, actually, uh, David's not the one to build me a temple. So here's a paraphrase of five through seven. Now, this is a pretty big deal. Uh, Wow, I'm really surprised and honored, David, that you thought of it. No one else has. For 500 years, I've met uh, with my people. They've moved here and there. I've moved with them, and actually, I like it that way. Uh, In all that time, I never asked anyone to build me a permanent structure because it wasn't what I needed, wasn't what I wanted. It isn't part of the plan, and it wasn't time. So in short, paraphrase, I appreciate the offer, but when it comes to big, bold moves in the kingdom of God, they have to come from me. Now, G. Campbell Morgan uh, put it this way It is the utmost importance that we should always test our desires, even the highest and holiest of them, by his will. Ministry or service, excellent in itself, should never be undertaken except at the expressed command of God. The passing of time will always vindicate the wisdom of divine will. So what do we have here? We have a great opportunity. We have a great need. We have something that sounds really good. It's certainly not sinful. Uh, It makes good sense. It's just not what God is calling for at the time. Now, just because there's a need doesn't necessarily mean that God wants me to meet it in his name. Now, that's not the usual problem that we have. Our problem is really is that God is presenting an opportunity or opening a door for service and asking and prompting, and we don't rise to the occasion. So uh, it's not something that we often have a problem with because we're just kind of the opposite, unfortunately. Now, I, thou shalt not drive thyself crazy, That's my (laughs) exhortation to you because you're already thinking, right? Well, um, all the things that I do and all the needs, there are needs all around you and all day long you're doing good deeds and and now you're thinking, well, they mean nothing if God's not (laughs) telling me to do those things. Do not. Drive yourself crazy. Do not be an over-analytical Christian. There are a lot of things we do and should do that are no-brainers. There are general commands in the scriptures that show us how to live a Christian life. And when, when we're standing there and somebody's standing in front of us and they're saying, gee whiz, I wonder how I could be saved and get to heaven. It's probably a cue that is okay for you to say something to that person. All right? If you're passing somebody and somebody's like uh, in, in this great need and you have the ability to meet that need. Let's not overdo this and now use it as an excuse to say, well, Pastor Ross just said, you know, not every need is God's will for my life, right? Well, the obvious ones are i think the point here the lesson is when you need to step out big time those big time steps have to have god's confirmed calling so for example peter sees his lord walking on the water peter thinks That looks like so much fun. (laughs) I want to do that so bad. Lord, I want to join you in that work. I want to partner with you out there. I want to. But he says, he says, before he gets in the water, Lord, if you tell me to come to you, guess what? I'll be walking on the water like you. (laughs) And the Lord goes, come. He's like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah, that's the ghetto version. Um, It was a ghetto part of Galilee that you didn't know about. He said he was pretty excited. Because why? He got the yes. He had a a dream. I'm going to do something that's impossible for men to do without the living God. Is that what you want, God? Because if you do, if you say it to me, if I hear clear that this is you and not some harebrained idea of mine, then I'm going to get out of this boat. I'm not going to need a boat. I'm not going to need a raft. I'm just going to walk on the water like you. And the Lord said, come. I think that's the point here. He wants to walk on the water, and the the Lord's saying, no, 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 stay in the boat. Now, you get out of the boat, where the Lord says, uh, "Not, not now. It's not you. It's going to be your son." It's like, "Whoa, you're way ahead of this." No, appreciate the thought, but get back. You know. So, or you're gonna, you know, you're gonna need some CPR. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. So, uh, continuing on. God's not upset. In the English, it kind of sounds like he's being sarcastic. And he's just, he's just saying, uh, he tells David, no. He's just saying, listen, in short, you know, if I, if, I, if I wanted this to happen, David, I would ask you. So thank you, but no, no thank you. So let's, let's move on. So just for the thought, though, David, I've got something for you. Just for the gesture verse eight through 17. Now, then tell my servant, David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone. and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, Solomon, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now we're, now we're getting into Messiah territory. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Now talking about Solomon and the earthly kings as well. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me your throne will be established forever nathan reported to david all the words of this entire revelation so let's pause here we've seen david's good intentions and now we see god's over-the-top response to david's good-hearted intentions Now, David had just expressed his willingness and his desire to do something for God that really no one has ever thought about doing before him. Now, that called in God's perspective for a fitting response. Listen to this. David touched God's heart in a way that nobody had ever moved God. Something David did was very unique, and, and God points it out. Nobody's ever th- even thought about this. Nobody thinks about me no, I, in that way. I, I, I mean, you're like checking in with me. Like, like how are you doing, Lord? W- what's on your heart? There's a lot of very sad things that happen today that, in the earth, can imagine that you know about every one of them. Is there something I could do to just kind of bless your socks off? I mean, what, what could I do today to help kind of mitigate all the pain that you see going around in your world? How could I make you as happy as you make me today? I just wanna, just wanna do that. Just, you know, one of my ideas is like, just build you this ginormous temple. Because that's what's in my heart. Everyone assumes like God is God. So we don't, don't need to treat him like another human being. He's like God. He's got everything. Why give him anything? Why, he doesn't need anything, which is true. You know, people are hard to buy for when they're wealthy, right? I mean, when they're wealthy, it's like, what do you get them? A sweater, please? You know, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, You know what I'm saying? We have that mistaken idea about God. He's God. You know, you don't check and say, "How are you?" David is like, "Well, how are you?" The the tabernacle. Are are you okay with that? I'm in this palace, God. what are you feeling about that? Can I, can I bless you the way you bless me? And God's heart is stirred. He cut through to the most high God in a way that most of us don't. Because he has this love and respect for him. So David's passion to bless the Lord moved the Lord to be like-minded, now God. Is on the war path to bless him with this passion. God is no debtor to anyone, and you just can't outgive him. Even in the gesture, he's going to tell him no. But the gesture, enough. The heart behind it was enough for God to go tilt and say, "Listen, I, I, I've got. I've been looking for a guy like you, and uh, I'm going to tell you what I have planned for you. You just can't outgive the Lord. You know. I, I think of that woman." Uh, who in the Gospels, uh, she anointed the Lord with this fragrance that costs about 50000 of our dollars. That's a lot of money back then. And, and the disciples led by Judas, uh, Judas poisoned their minds to think, well, what a waste. And the Lord said, you know what? Let me tell you about what this woman did out of her love for me. It, t- it touched me, what she did. That's her dowry, that's her wedding money. She, she's kind of thrown away her wedding just for me. And you know what? Wherever the gospel goes for 2,000 plus years, she's going to be mentioned. The whole earth will hear the gospel and they will know about what she did today. This nobody is now knit in the eternal story of the word of God. And wherever the gospel goes, Ever, you're going to know about her because she touched the heart of God I'm thinking of the Roman centurion uh, he's a Roman he, he's, he's a Gentile right he's got this servant that he loves and the servant's about to die and he goes to Jesus and he says uh, Lord I've got a servant and, and he's about to die uh, and, and the Lord says I'll come and I'll heal him and the servant says oh I'm not worthy. I'm under authority. Uh, I understand how this works. When, when, when I tell a guy, go and do something, he goes and does it. Well, you're under the authority of God the Father. When you give a word, man, you've got God's authority. It'll get done. So you know what? It's I, I'm not worthy. Who am I that the Son of God should come under my roof? Just say the word. It'll be done. Just right here. Just say, Done. And it'll be done. And the Lord jaw drops and goes, it says he was, he marveled. He marveled and went, God, God, he got through to God and he made God go, what? Well, uh, that's amazing to me. Even though God can even know it's coming because he's God and he figures everything out, you know, he was still taken aback. By this guy's faith that just said you know what I just believe who you are uh, why do you have to walk all the way there go through all the you know motions just speak the word uh, just think it just bat your eyelash man It's done and the Lord says you know what about this guy he's a Gentile with more faith than I've seen in all of Israel David got through he inspired me do you, do you want to get through to him And just shock him and say, I can't believe you turned that down for me. Wow. You're willing to trust me here. You're willing not to throw a pity party and act like everybody else who if they went through this, they would be doing that. But instead, you're on your face before me. That moves me, God says. That's just what I'm getting out of this. And so uh, the Lord really starts in eight and nine. He says, uh, you know what? This started back wanting to bless you back when you were crying out, kid, at the beginning with the singing your songs and writing poems in the lonely sheep pen. So he brings him back there. Let me paraphrase that part of it for you. David, I, I got you out of that smelly pen, didn't I? Those lonely days. With a dad who didn't think much of you. Well, I thought much of you, huh? From the pen to the palace. How do you like that? Took care of the Philistines too. Now you're a king, a real leader. But wait, there's more. (laughs) I will make sure Israel's firmly established and I will make you one of the most famous men in all of human history. You wanted to build me a house, but now tell you what, I'm going to build you a house a family line, a dynasty. You're going to pass from the scene one day, but one of your boys will be king. And by the way, he's actually the one who's going to build that temple. But more than that, someone related to you, one of your future ancestors from your own flesh and blood will sit on the throne and reign not just over Israel, but over the universe forever, the king of kings who reigns forever will be biologically related to you, just so you know. Well, the reason that David cannot uh, build the Lord a temple is given in First Chronicles 22. He said, "Because David's hands had too much blood, he was a, a man of war." And his son, Solomon, was more of a kind of a book guy. He was real wisdom, and he was a man of peace. And so he said, I want the man of peace to build my temple. Uh, But don't be too disappointed because uh, there's some big news coming. Now, he's going to shut the door. And you know how we we love to say when God shuts a door, he what? I know, but I don't agree with that. When God God shuts a door, he opens the floodgates of heaven. Uh, uh, That's the whole concept is wrong. When God shuts a door, he opens this little tiny window. It's a squeeze through. Now, you know, you're not going to get the big fat door you wanted, but I'm going to open up this little basement window for you to push it through and give you something that you didn't really want. But, you know, you'll be so much happier. Oh, come on. The the doors you want to open are the dumb little windows. He's got the real doors. And every disappointment from God is an appointment with the real thing that he has for you. And uh, I just wish we could all believe that. Personally, the very best things in my life were born out of the biggest disappointments. I thought it was like, this is the way, man, this is, that's the church I need to pastor. And it was not meant to be. But if it was, I wouldn't be here. I I mean, there are relationships like that. There are job opportunities, career paths, all of these things. We get focused. We think this is what, this is my very heart's desire. But actually the Lord is saying, uh, no, it isn't. I'm going to close that because that's not my heart's desire for you. It's better. So if only we could trust that God's no's are to ensure you get to his yes. So um, it's not the building, the Lord says. It's your body. Your body is a temple. And God is going to take up residence in a human body. And that human body is going to be biologically related to you, the God-man. So, uh, this is called the da- 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 Davidic covenant. Thank you. And it just is a promise that, uh, that everything hinges upon. It's about the virgin birth I will be his father, he will be my son. It's about eternal life and a coming kingdom, he shall reign. It, it's about death and resurrection because he will be alive from the dead. Everything about this is really the gospel and the promise here, you know, and what a mind blower. He just told David, you know what? The God man is going to be related to you. The ruler of the universe, God almighty, who we will always see and know as Jesus Christ, who is the visible image of the invisible God. We'll always know God as Jesus. That's who we'll always see as God. He's related to David. He may even look a little bit like him because through Mary, Mary's related to David. So she's blood kin to God. Now, you know when somebody says, uh, you know, my cousin is uh, Tom Cruise, and everybody goes, oh, wow, your cousin's Tom Cruise, or whatever. You know, I just picked a name out of my head. David could say, you know who my great-grandson is? (laughs) god you know (laughs) nobody else really gets to say that it's kind of cool you know it just it's a marvelous thing and uh, i love the ps here by the way in verse 14 he says i will you know saul's saul's dynasty went extinct but david yours will go all the way to messiah there won't be a break Until Messiah comes, then we don't need any more kings. All right? So he says, and I will maintain that lineage of yours. But just because I maintain their lineage doesn't mean that they can do anything that they want. You know, because of this favor, word is going to spread. Hey, God's going to keep David, David's relatives on the throne all the way to Messiah, so you know what? Hey, we're favored. We got this promise from God. We, we found this grace. And, and we could, you know, do whatever we want. Oh, no, 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 no. And that's how Christians think, too. I'm chosen. I'm predestined. I'm co-heirs with Christ. I got this favor of God. And now, you know, what the Bible says, yeah, all of that's true. Act out of line, and you'll get a spanking. And that's exactly what he says. Listen, I'm going to maintain all your relatives down the line to Messiah, to the God-man on the throne who will reign forever over the universe. But you know what? If any of them act out of line, they get chastised. And then in the Hebrew, there's a little hint of Jesus having been found with sin, not of his own, but of the sins of the world laid upon him because he's the sinless one. He's the God-man. And so it says, sin shall be found upon him, then I will chastise him. With the floggings of men, so when the earthly kings acted out, they reaped dis- destruction because they sowed to the flesh. but all of the sins of the world were laid on the last David, the second David, his son, because he was the um, the scapegoat the the, the the lamb of God, who takes away the sins. Of the world, So, a pivotal chapter. We knew that the Messiah, Abraham, uh, the Messiah would come to the nation of Israel in Genesis 12. We also knew that he'd be from the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49. But now we know that he'll be related to David. He'll be a human being who is related to David. David's floored, so let's finish up because David has a response in prayer. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, "Who?" Am I, O Sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O Sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this the usual way of dealing with man, O Sovereign Lord? (laughs) What more can David say to you? For you know your servant. O sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your your will, you've done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth, that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself? And to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised. So that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant, David, will be established before you. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer, O sovereign Lord. You are God. Your words are trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight for you O sovereign lord have spoken and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever all right so david's prayer of thanksgiving David's quick to get over the bad news. Do you notice that? This is very important. Uh, David's wise and trusting. He's like, let's not focus on the no that I just received. Let's believe for this yes. So oftentimes, isn't it true that we're kind of bummed out with what the Lord withholds? So we can't really get to the part where he says, hey, but I got this because we we're so ticked off. And we pout and we start acting immature. In fact, uh, some people walk away when God shuts a, a beloved door. They just walk away, which reveals the heart, which forfeits the blessing that God had in store. But do you see any whining, complaining, pouting, or isolating? There's no pity party. He doesn't say Fine, shut me down, crush my dreams, see if I care. And I wanted to do this for you. You know, um, listen, you know what I'm going to write in Psalm 37.4 now? I'm going to say, delight yourself in the Lord, and maybe he'll give it, maybe he won't. That's what I'm going to say, God. You know what? And he did write Psalm 37. For. But no, he doesn't say that because he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The true ones, the ones that he imparted to your heart, his destiny for you, not your own human, faulty, sinful, self-centered. Uh, what other adjectives can we find? Uh, so here, I like this. And we'll close with three characteristics in David's thank you prayer that believers could really um, Uh, benefit from uh, verses 19 to 21 okay so three things humility uh, thankful praise and faith so first of all let me paraphrase verse 18 humility he says Lord I'm just a nobody and my family's really nothing special you're treating me with some very unusual kindness that's what he means with is this, this the way you deal with everybody that's a rhetorical question that means god you are showing me something special you know why david because you're showing him something special you're acting like hardly anybody acts so god's going to act like he treats hardly anybody it just that's the way it goes and so uh he's got a humble heart he says uh, i love this quote david's attitude wasn't I'm so great that even God gives me gifts. His attitude was, God is so great that he gives even me gifts. We should receive salvation and every blessing with the same attitude. God's giving reflects the greatness of the giver, not the receiver. Proverbs 22 and verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of uh, selfish ambition, but consider others better than yourselves. Philippians 2, 3, and then Romans twelve three: do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. David's able to do this, and all men and women of God, that's the starting point. They know the greatness of God, they know how depraved and evil and wicked they are. Paul the apostle, nothing good dwells in this body except the Holy Spirit. Nothing good. Not one good thing. Those are the basics. That's Christianity 1A. Uh, up is down, and to exalt self is to be humbled, and to humble yourself, will be you will be exalted. Three places in the New Testament says that simple truth. Humble yourself. God will lift you up. Lift yourself up. God will put you down. Three places. Matthew 23, 12. James 4, 1 Peter 5, 6. The next thing. So we've got humility. We've got thankful praise. So when David thinks about God, he bursts into praise. Uh, Verses 22 through 25. He says, you alone are God. Nobody's like you. You're the strongest, wisest, most loving being in the world. You've done wonderful things for your people. What a privilege to belong to you and your family. One writer said this We know we're truly in touch with God in prayer when praise for his attributes begin to flow with thanksgiving. You know, I come from a denomination uh, that's a little bit different from Calvary Chapel, Uh, they have different styles. And I kind of entered my Christian life through them. It's more charismatic church. And one thing that I remember and that I admire is the praise and the worship. Not the crazy part, but actually the praising part. Where in prayer they would just start this kind of a kind of from the heart about God's attributes. You are holy. Holy is the Lamb. Holy is the Lord. God, you are powerful and great. And and, and you are all-knowing. And, and we just praise you, Lamb of God. And and, and all of this, It's just flowing from this awareness of the greatness of God instead of a kind of this casual kind of prayer. Casual praying is okay because we're casual and we pray every day and we're supposed to talk like we have conversations, but there's a place where where David just kind of is in awe of God and just starts praising him for his attributes. I'm just asking you to check your own relationship with God. Do you praise him in your worship time? Do you, do you tell him who he is and glorify all his wonderful majestic traits? Cause that, that's a beautiful thing. And finally, when David thinks about the future, there's faith. So verses 27 through 29, he doesn't say, okay, God, how's that going to work? A God-man related to me. And how's he going to live forever? how is a throne of a man going to last forever? He doesn't say how can this happen and uh, how are you going to do this and all of that he just says you know what he says okay lord you've revealed this to your servant you're sovereign and all-powerful when you speak it happens so here's here's what he says let it be exactly as you've said this is my prayer what you have said sounds really awesome and good please do it go for it god i'm with you in this May your will in my life, as you've said, be done. Well, you think, well, what's so profound about that? Well, I'm going to tell you what's so profound about that. Listen, listen. I'm going to read the promises. You know, when Mary gets the news, she's going to have the God-man. Without having any relations with any human being, she's going to give birth. First, she does have a simple question. She just wants to know, hey, you know what? I'm not really qualified to have a baby. And, the, and, and he says, you know what? It's going to be the Holy Spirit. Check, got it. And what does she say? She says, and there's a nice little scripture. She says, I am your servant. Let it be to the Lord. I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. This is the same kind of faith David has. Doesn't understand half of what's been told. It's, it's a big wow, but it's like, yes, Lord, do this thing. Well, listen to some of the promises. And after I say the promise, I want you to respond just and read this together. All right. So when the Lord says to you personally, you can do all things through me who will strengthen you. I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Okay, I will provide for all your needs. I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. You are co-heirs with Christ. I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you sound a little bit more upbeat about it? (laughs) Just, Just a tiny bit, a little bit more happy. All right. You will reign and rule with me and sit on a throne and judge angels and judge the world with me. Thank you. <laughs> Nothing in all of creation can separate you from my love. I am your servant, it to me, your word. I am going to finish the work that I started in you. I am your servant. Really. I will present you faultless and blameless before my throne. I am your really Let it be to me according to your word. I will keep you from the hour that is coming to test the entire earth. Oh now. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I haven't given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I am your servant to me according to your word. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we believed just half of those? What confidence, what boldness, what peace. Do you know how good you would sleep tonight? If, if you just believed half of them, I'm not asking you to believe them all. I'm asking just take half and, and say, yes, I, I believe all of those. And you're saying, well, I kind of do. What do you mean you kind of do? You either do or you don't. These are either true or not. So, so the way you know whether you really believe them is if you live like these are the realities and that the circumstances around you are the temporal things that really... Don't amount to much because the, and I'm quoting the Bible here, the things that you can see are temporary. We're to look to the things that are unseen, which are eternal and fix our eyes on them. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all of the lessons we have learned tonight, just from this simple chapter, this short exchange between you and King David, who now is alive and with you. We thank you, Father, for these truths, and we ask that you apply them to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.